and that is my son, Asher, that you hear. Um, he will continue to speak from time to time throughout the sermon. Um, but if he gets too bad, Stephanie will take him out back. Oh, yeah, yeah, take him out back and take care of it. Now she'll just walk outside with him. Um, but I am happy to be here. I'm glad you guys let me come and preach to you this morning. Um, I always enjoy opportunities like this. I'm a young guy that doesn't necessarily have a multitude of preaching opportunities. I'll preach like once a quarter at Cedar View. Um, and so if I make any mistakes, it's not my fault. I just don't have enough time to practice. This is me practicing, so just don't hold it against me too bad if, you know, I lose my place or something. Um, but one of the funny things about using a iPad for sermon notes, it's excellent in every way until I make a point that I have to, like, hold up a Bible, like the word is X, Y, and Z, and then all I have is an iPad, and it looks like I'm glorifying an Apple product, and so um, whenever I would teach the Monday morning um, Bible studies that Dale would be in attendance for um, when she was able to come, I usually had a, it was our joke that I had a prop Bible, because I had all my notes here, and then whenever I needed to say that the word is this, I would lift up the um, Bible, yeah, but... I promise you that all of the scripture is in my notes already. It's just not in a paper Bible. But all that to say, we can go ahead and get started. We are going to be looking at Habakkuk this morning. Um, and so as you guys are turning there, um, I'll just give you some background. Uh, what, does make, or what makes Habakkuk a relevant book, a relevant prophet for us today? Um, Asher's trying to give you the answer. But what makes Habakkuk relevant to us today? Um, I would hazard to guess that not many of us have done an extensive study on the prophet Habakkuk. Um, but as I was studying, I was really encouraged. So here's some things um, that I think make Habakkuk relevant. Habakkuk felt as if his prayers were not being answered. Habakkuk saw sin and evil both in the world and in God's people and couldn't understand why God doesn't do something about it. He felt as though, even though he was doing what God and the Bible told him to do, that his life was still going wrong, if you will. So does that sound relevant to us today? Absolutely. So uh, for me, in my study, it's been a blessing to my soul. That said, boiling an entire book that we're going to be looking at, I promise it's not going to take too long, um, boiling an entire book, though, into one statement, one theme, can be a little tricky. And so we're going to take one aspect, one theme of a few that are in Habakkuk, but I think it is Habakkuk's primary theme. Um, so one of the commentaries um, that I used in preparing was, it understood this thing to be understanding honest doubt and prayer. Understanding through, rather, honest doubt and prayer. Um, I'm going to put that in my own words, though. Um, and I'm typically not a uh, pun guy. Um, but when I was doing my preparation, um, this particular pun seemed to make sense. And I think it's goofy enough that it'll stick in your memories as we go through. So, um, the theme that we're going to be working with is going to be transparency. Transparency cultivates life-giving faith in the righteous. So again, that is transparency 
cultivates life-giving faith in the righteous. Spell it however it makes sense to you. Um, but this prophet demonstrates the blessing of transparency in three ways. So three divisions in the book that we're going to be looking at. Uh, one, honest doubting gives way to honest faith. Our second blessing is going to be hopeful contemplation becomes hope-filled realization. And our third blessing of transparency is humbled assurance awaits the world's humiliation. Um, none of that means anything to you yet. So we're going to go into it, um, give you some background on the history of Habakkuk. Babylon is rising to power. So, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, um, these children's stories that we've been taught. Um, Daniel was under the oppression of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, right? Um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Um, I've watched some films that mess up their names on purpose as a joke, and it is, messes me up when I try to say them. Um, anyway, but so Babylon is rising into power. This is before Daniel um, and all of those stories take place. So Josiah comes on the scene. Some of you know Josiah, king in Judah. Um, he makes sweeping reforms. Young guy, he comes in at, I mean, I think he's like 13, something really young. Um, and so he has his trusted advisors, and then he comes to an age, he enters the temple, and lo and behold, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and inside is the law. And so he reads the law, the <laughs> Judah reads the law for the first time in a generation, at least it seems, and Josiah is convicted by the Spirit and says, we have all these idols. And he goes on a sweeping reform, crushes idols. It's a beautiful time in Judah. So Babylon is now on its way to conquer, and Egypt mobilizes to confront the new, new threat. Um, so Egypt were the, you know, Big guys on the block, right? We have the exodus. Egypt is the world power at the time. What we're seeing here is a shift. Um, well, there was also Assyria. So Egypt and Assyria were both vying for power. Babylon is this new threat coming out sideways. And now they're threatening both Assyria and Egypt. So Egypt is coming out to assert dominance, essentially. They team up with Assyria, they're coming in to fight Babylon, and Josiah, for reasons um, ultimately unknown to us, um, Josiah goes out to confront Egypt. All right, and so Necho, the um, emperor of Egypt at the time, or the pharaoh at the time, he, it's, the Bible says that he is actually a mouthpiece of the Lord, and says, Josiah, my my fight is not with you. I am going out to fight Babylon. And again, for reasons unknown to us, Josiah did not roll over on that, and he confronted Necho at the um, Valley of Megiddo and was ultimately killed. So, Josiah's killed. Obviously, that's a blow to Judah's morale. Um, he was the first great king. I mean, they had Hezekiah, who's great, and then Manasseh, his silly son, <laughs> comes in, takes over, and ruins everything. And then Josiah comes in, morale is high, now they've lost their king. Josiah's sons are no better, all right? So um, Josiah's second-born son has some um, wisdom about him, apparently. He has some thoughts about him, um, but he is immediately taken prisoner, uh, prisoner of war, and Jehoiakim is placed, who is the true heir, the firstborn, is placed as king. 
um, Jehoiakim is a pushover. Um, he's anytime the world powers tell him to do something, he just wants to suck up to the guy that's in charge. Um, he's looking out for his own best interests and not trusting the Lord. So ultimately, again, Judah is in a place of despair. We have a puppet king um, that is not doing anything to bring us to the Lord. This is the time that Habakkuk um, is on the scene. So Babylon crushes Egypt and Assyria. They are the new world power. The scene is dreary. We have a useless king, an oppressive world power, and even sin and idolatry amongst Judah's own ranks, followers of Jehoiakim. Habakkuk is desperate, and he doesn't understand how God could let this happen. Habakkuk is transparent, but what is that doing for his faith? Um, So I'll pray, and then we'll hop into the text. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word that even minor Old Testament prophets are beneficial, are relevant, are substantial to us today. Thank you that your word is living, that Christ, you are our word. And thank you that everything we learn today in Habakkuk is ultimately looking forward from Habakkuk's perspective, unto Christ. And Father, as we'll see, we can look forward with Habakkuk as well at the ultimate second coming of Christ as well. Father, thank you for ultimate victory through your Son. Father, thank you for victory over sin that we already celebrate through the blood of your Son. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we get to pray. Amen. So, again, to understand our first section, um, honest doubting gives way to honest faith. We're going to look at Habakkuk's first complaint. So if you are already there in Habakkuk chapter 1, I will begin reading. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous So justice goes forth perverted. So what is Habakkuk claiming in his complaint? I'm crying out with no reply, number one. Number two, why do I see iniquity? But even more so, why won't you do anything? Three, sin and evil is growing like a cancer. His conclusion, the law must be paralyzed. God, you must not be upholding justice. In other words, if evil men are in power, there is no way that your justice is being enacted. Is it true? From Habakkuk's perspective, this is all he can assume. 
So what is an honest doubter? Before we get any further, um, let me clarify that concept for you. The honest doubter looks at God as he is and then looks at the world and struggles to reconcile the two. Okay? For Habakkuk, we see him wrestling with a holy God and a sinful world. Um, to contrast, a dishonest doubter looks at God in whatever way the dishonor, dishonest doubter wants to view him. For example, my Jesus would not send John Doe to hell. My God wants me to be happy. That is us ascribing our own prescription of who God is, and then being upset that God doesn't reach our standard for him. But the honest doubter, Habakkuk is not doing that. Habakkuk is taking what God has promised in his word, deliverance, justice, overall conquering of sin in the world, and he's just looking at this holy God and saying, how? How can you still be holy? And Babylon is growing and coming. Jehoiakim is in power. Who, what's going on? The honest doubter will give way to honest faith. Let's look at God's reply, starting in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, and they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoffed, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. If you have a wall, God says, they just throw some dirt down and walk over it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might is their own God. Now this, if you're Habakkuk, is not the response that you were hoping to hear. Correct? Do you see the irony? Habakkuk concluded that God and the law were paralyzed because God, Babylon is growing in power. God's response is that he himself raised them up. All are subject to our sovereign God. God uses the Babylonians for his own purpose in his own time. But this still feels really weird, right? Let's continue on in verse 12, Habakkuk's second complaint because what you're feeling is likely what Habakkuk is about to say. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at these traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. 
You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he, these he's are Babylon, rejoices and is glad. Therefore he, Babylon, sacrifices to the net and makes offerings to his dragnet, his tools of destruction, his tools of his power. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Chapter 2, verse 1. I, Habakkuk, take my stand at my watchpost and stand myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's pretty bold, right? But again, Habakkuk is not an irreverent prophet, an irreverent priest. Look at the structure that he presented this to God. He was quoting his promises back at him, right? He just doesn't get it. So, basically, Habakkuk calls a foul on the play, right? Um, How could God possibly be more comfortable allowing men that are murderers, idolaters, to overtake men that Judah has its problems. I know, God, but you're going to let the Babylonians swallow us up? They're way worse than us. We at least get it right, you know, 10% of the time. Note again, as I said, that Habakkuk's complaints are rooted in the truth that God claims about himself. Habakkuk cannot understand how the two things can reconcile. Again, we're coming to an answer, um, but let's let God's reply (laughs) start to give us these hints as to how do we work these things together. So continuing in chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord's second reply to Habakkuk's second complaint, and the Lord answered me, write the visions Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, and it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So even in this introduction, the words that he is about to say, do you see the contrast between the Lord's first reply And here, there was some tough love (laughs) in that first reply, right? Hey, don't, don't get it messed up, Habakkuk. I'm the one that raised these guys up. But he doesn't really give a whole lot more explanation. That's not what Habakkuk wants to hear. But now the Lord is tender. He is telling Habakkuk, no, I'm in control and I'm the one doing it. And now he's about to give his tender reply. Write it down, Habakkuk. No, like get your pen and paper or your stone and chisel out, all right? Write it down so everyone knows. Behold, God says, his soul, Babylon, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. 
He, has, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Praise God that the victory he works and wills to bring his people is not something so small and insignificant as merely victory over our momentary afflictions. Would we be satisfied if God gave us all winning lottery tickets, if he gave us a building, if he gave us these things that would overcome our current situations, but failed? If he gave us the whole world, but failed to deliver our soul, would we worship him for that? Not worth it. God promises his people ultimate deliverance. But in the meantime, our role as believers is the same for these Israelites or these Jews here. Our role in the meantime, when we face hardship, is simple. Continue worshiping God in faith. Behold, his soul is puffed up. The one that trusts his own dragnet the one that gives sacrifices to his tools of power, his soul is puffed up. But who will have life? The righteous will live by faith. So yes, Habakkuk, God says, I am raising up these Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Yes, Habakkuk, they will overthrow you. But they are puffed up. Their soul is not upright within him. The righteous man shall have life by his faith. This assurance to Habakkuk is an assurance to us today. If our coming deliverance seems slow, it will surely not delay. This momentary affliction you experience now will ultimately leave to etern- lead to eternal life for the righteous by faith. And even more so than the momentary afflictions are not happenstance outside of God's control, but God says, I raise them up. We don't serve a God that just says, oopsie, forgot about Babylon. I've been worried about Egypt over here. Right? God raised them up. Why? To show his own glory. And you know what our role is? Again, our role is simply the righteous will live by faith. The righteous shall have life, eternal life, by his faith. But for the puffed up, for the unrighteous, He will trust indulgences and wine as his God. His greed shall drive him to devour, but he will never be satisfied. And in the last day, there will be nothing left for him to devour. The righteous will sit down at the wedding feast, and we will have more than our fill. But the unrighteous man, for all of his feasting in all of our days... He will be left in famine and experiencing the full wrath of our holy God. 
how did honest doubting give way to honest faith for Habakkuk? How does transparency cultivate life-giving faith in Habakkuk? Habakkuk knew God, knew His Word, and knew His character. Habakkuk just pleaded to the Lord to understand how God can be righteous and allow unrighteousness. God will not, God's response is that God will not allow unrighteousness, ultimately. You and I await the return of Jesus Christ to overthrow each and every Babylon in our world. But in the meantime, death, famine, persecution all plague God's people, and we must reconcile that in our own faith with our holy God. We must be honest with how we reconcile evil and God's character in our own hearts. If we allow doubt to set in and if we're afraid to ask questions, then those doubts are going to grow. They're going to fester. They're going to grow like a cancer in our bones. Because if we can't look at our afflictions and truly look at God as still holy, And I don't care if you make an outward profession of that. Again, this is in your own heart. If you have that nagging voice in the back of your mind, you need to seek out counsel. The truth is, God will deliver you. But the problem is, I believe, help my unbelief. Do we pray honestly like this? That was the longest point by far. I promise. Um, The second blessing of transparency is hopeful contemplation becomes hope-filled realization. Um, For time's sake, I'm going to categorize these as I found in the Tyndale Old Testament commentaries before we read. Um, So we have God's view of the one, the pillager. That's going to be chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read these as well. I'm just giving you the outline. The plotter. Um, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The promoter of violence, verses 12 through 14. The debaucher, verses 15 through 17. And the pagan idolater, verses 18 through 20. What God has done in these five woes is give the believer confidence and hope, um, which sounds a little strange. Um, Listen as I read and consider for yourselves what applications these might have for the modern day. Okay, search as I read each of the five woes has a decision made by the unrighteous that was thought to be wise by them. And it's going to be followed with a specific reason from the Lord why such an action is foolish is the word we will use. You can replace foolish with whatever word you feel is appropriate. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to give you those headings again. So first, the pillager. Let's look at verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. This is God speaking, by the way. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations, and all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. 
for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Let's look at the plotter. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork will respond. The promoter of violence. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The debaucher. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your circumcision. The cup in the, in, the, cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as, the will, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The pagan idolater. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image? A teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him to, who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, but there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The NIV application commentary outlines the woes, uh, has their outline for the woes that's also helpful now that we've already read them. So they break it down as five future woes for the puffed up from the survivors or the righteous. So this is, those woes are spoken from the righteous who trust the Lord, looking forward to the broad way is not going to sustain you, O oh, puffed up man. So first, your victims will make you tremble. Second, wall stones and woodwork will cry out against you. Third, exhaustion of bloodshed and knowledge of the glory of God. Four, exposure to the terror of trees and animals. Five, lifeless, breathless, silent idols. So again, rather than explaining these woes in detail, however, for the time permitted, I think it'll be best and it will most bless your soul if you consider your lives in light of these woes. So, what I mean by that is if we carry on down that narrow path and all of our friends and family are barreling on along in the Broadway saying, Hey, Kyle, what are you doing down there? It's really easy up here, buddy. We got taxis and scooters and all kinds of things that make going down the Broadway really nice and easy. 
and we're down here with our machetes, right, on our little narrow path, or thorns and rocks, and we're tired and cut up. Why would we be down here, right? They will call us out, and why busy ourselves? Because we know where the broad way is going, and we know where the narrow way is going. It's really as simple as that. Would you rather have an easy path to a cliff that you drive off of? Or would you rather have a difficult path to the oasis in the middle of the Amazon rainforest? Right? Um, I enjoy meat, and so I always, in, when using comparison, comparison is a beautiful tool for your Christian life, by the way. Anytime you are struggling in your faith, just do simple comparison exercises. Christ or X, Christ or Y, Christ or Z. And immediately it bolsters your faith. But so I always make it as simple as, like, if you come to me and offer me a McDouble on the one hand and a medium rare 12-ounce ribeye, well marbled the works. Do you know what I'm going to pick? Like, McDoubles are fine. Like, I'll eat a McDouble if that's the only option. But it's not the only option. There's also a ribeye that I could take. It, the Christian life is as simple as that. Simple doesn't mean easy. But it is at that simple. So, um, these woes, again, were not for Babylon alone, though. These woes apply directly to today. And anyone foolish enough to trust pillaging, plotting, violence, debauchery, or idols, the realizations are the same as well. Debtors will arise. If we have shady dealings with those in the world, those debtors will arise to overthrow us, says every nation in history. Babylon's not sitting around today, is it? We're not all hailing the Babylonian Empire. Nope. Their debtors came and arose. Stones and beams will cry out. When we build our house upon fraught de or dealings fraught with evil, it'll come back around, says every company that has had shady dealings in history. <laughs> right. And it comes out eventually. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Violence will not be the way of the kingdom. Knowledge of the glory of God will come upon the earth, fill the earth. Debauchery, violence dealt, will be violence received. Retribution will come. We are not to be the ones that extract this retribution. Vengeance is the Lord's. But vengeance will be exacted. And finally, for idols, the one and only God does have breath, does have life, and he is in his temple, which we now know is the church. Nothing else has breath. Why would we worship 
a dead thing. Transparency is not just being um, our being transparent to God in our prayers, but it's also being honest with ourselves. We absolutely must trust that serving God is of more value than serving ourselves. Comparison. Is this how we pray? The Broadway says, building a large church, build a large church or you'll fail. The word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church in Matthew 16, 17 through 19. The broad path says that the church's size is what matters, that you need more members. But Jesus commends Philadelphia. You guys are going through Revelation. I think you guys said we're in your chapter 6. You already passed this. Revelation 3, 8. Jesus commends Philadelphia for though they have little power, they did not deny his name. Your job is not to get more members primarily. We want the gospel to go forth and conversion to happen. Absolutely. Your primary duty, though, is not to deny the name of Christ. And you can do that if you never have any more people than you have here today. And Jesus will commend your church. Transparency cultivates life-giving faith in the righteous. And our third blessing of transparency is both tender assurance and terrifying reality. Humbled assurance awaits the world's humiliation. So Habakkuk responds to the Lord's answer in a song. Um, The woes were all the Lord's answer as well. And Habakkuk's final response is a, like what you would find, like Psalm 50. This is a psalm that would have been sung in the worship services of Judah. Um, So Habakkuk was satisfied with the Lord's answer. And even more than that, even more than just being satisfied, he understood it. He understood what God was trying to say. He understood that ultimate deliverance is coming and that God is so abundantly beautiful, so abundantly worthy of all praise, honor, and glory that even though the despair of Babylon is coming, God is still good and he is still in control. And even if I lose my church building, my friends, my family, my children, my money, my reputation, or anything else you could hold dear, Jesus is still beautiful and enough. Is this how we pray? The deliverance of God's people is coming. The humiliation of the world, likewise, must be coming as well. Christian, I challenge you as we read, look at your life, look at what you hold dear Can you honestly say that if you lost everything, that you would continue lifting up praises to Christ? His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Consider the text as I read chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. 
His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was filled or full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand where he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations when the etern- and the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His ways were everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains you saw saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth to its voice. And it lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon who, people who invade us. <laughs> this is not a song um, for children. Um, it's not really a song for them to necessarily know well, let alone sing. But if I'm honest, isn't it better that way? The world around us is not rated G. The enemies of the gospel even today are murdering, imprisoning, and persecuting Christians around the world. But the white, frail Jesus of our paintings is not the God that we serve. We serve a warrior king that will overthrow his enemies swiftly and utterly. But we look ahead to that. Habakkuk has learned and is learning from the discipline of the Lord. His humbled assurance allowed him to confidently declare in verse 16, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. God, I know the deliverance that is coming, but I also know that before I get there, Babylon's going to 
destroy Judah. The humiliation of Babylon has now come and gone. You, O oh brother Christian, and O oh sister Christian, can rest assured, though, that every Babylon of the life of the church will come and go, will be defeated in that last day. This prophecy of Habakkuk was not exclusive to Babylon. We have his prophecy preserved for us today because we, again, look forward unto Christ's second coming. All victory belongs to Jesus, and no, not one will steal from him on the last day. Praise our warrior king for his long-suffering, though, toward us and towards the world. Because Jesus could have come back long before you and I had opportunity to trust Christ in the gospel. Praise our warrior king for his power to conquer his enemies. Praise our warrior king that he fights for his people, his church, you and me. Humbled assurance awaits the world's humiliation. So what am I saying? How do we become transparent? How do we tie all this together? We must be honest with, about our concerns about God. First and foremost, 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 we must be honest in our prayers. And again, this isn't your public prayers. You don't need to practice praying in front of people to sound better. I'm talking about you in your closet. Are you honest then? We must honestly believe that the narrow path is better than the broad. We say it. I say it. <laughs> But there are plenty of times in my life that I'm not believing it. And finally, we must honestly affirm that God will deliver his people. And not just believe that it will happen. That when we face affliction, that that is our first assurance. Right? When affliction comes, do we wallow in despair? Does despair overtake us? Or when affliction comes, do we immediately look unto the Lord again and say, praise God that you are going to overcome this? Maybe not in my lifetime, but ultimately. Transparency cultivates life-giving faith in the righteous. I challenge you this morning to seek this transparency, as goofy of a name, word that is, in your own life. Um, not just seeking an excuse to be irreverent in your prayers. As we discussed, Habakkuk was not irreverent. He was bold, but he was not irreverent. Boldly proclaim to God, I believe, help my unbelief. Your faith will never grow until you recognize in yourself where you are faithless. Transparency cultivates life-giving faith because it pulls the weeds of sin and doubt in the proverbial garden that is our faith. 
Consider as I read the close of Habakkuk's psalm whether you can honestly affirm his words. I've found in my own personal study of the book, the reason I'm preaching is because Habakkuk has had a uh, profound impact on me this year. In my own study of the book, I've found that I've been faithless as a provider for my family. I've been faithless as a husband. I've tried to be a good husband just on the my own laurels, right? It's working real hard. And then Steph keeps telling me, you know, you're not working hard. You're going to have to do better than that. <laughs> so, right? Because I can't be a good enough husband. I've been faithless in my success as a father. I'm just going to be a better dad than my dad was. It's not trusting Christ, trusting the gospel. And every time I fail, I carry the burden. When that burden has been taken from me by Christ at the cross. So listen as I read. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on its vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. It's not done. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. As we transition into a time of reflection, I have a few challenges um, for those of us here today. I'll be down in the front. I'll be here um, if you wish to speak to me. Um, but please make use of the time to pray transparently to the Lord. First, if you know some areas where you are faithless, just repent. Again, simple, not easy. But it is as simple as you looking at your life and saying, I don't trust Christ for how I father my child. Repent of it. If you know of something in your life that prevents you from proclaiming, even if I have nothing, if I have Christ, I have enough, that's an idol. And repent of it. Simple. Not easy. Deal with that in your hearts this morning. If you have questions that you cannot reconcile, but are afraid to ask me, which makes sense, then come and we'll just arrange some meetings for you and Jake to talk. Like, I'm just some guy. <laughs> you don't know me. But you guys know Jake. So let's set up some meetings that, hey, look, Jake, I don't know how God can be holy and have this unrighteousness in the world. Habakkuk did it. We have that assurance in Scripture. So come. Let's figure it out. If you are here, and you have never honestly believed that Jesus is as valuable as Habakkuk just described in the close of his psalm, then you may not be a Christian. But that's okay. Come and again, don't talk to me if you don't want to. 
but let's set up time where you and Jake can talk. If you do not see Christ as, or if you do not wrestle, I'll say that, I have to wrestle consistently with if the Lord took Stephanie and Asher away from me tomorrow, what would that do to my faith in Christ? Would Jesus still be enough? We have to wrestle with that as believers. And if we, if we don't honestly take that question and desire to want Christ more than our wife and child, then you may not understand just how beautiful Jesus is. And read Job. <laughs> Job's a good one, too. If you are not comfortable, again, coming down, um, or if you're not comfortable with me, again, that's fine. But do not go into the week. Do not leave the people that you do know, the people that you do trust, without telling someone at least, hey, I'm struggling through this. Let's have a game plan. Let's set something up to work through it. Because the longer we keep these doubts and these, this faithlessness in our hearts, the more it's going to grow like a cancer and the more it's going to cloud our vision of the only truly beautiful one that we can gaze upon in Christ. Transparency cultivates life-giving faith in the righteous. Honest doubting gives way to honest faith. Hopeful contemplation becomes hope-filled realization. Humbled assurance awaits the world's humiliation. And I want to read 17 through 19 again, and then I'll close in prayer. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the folds, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Habakkuk. Thank you for giving me and us assurance that we can doubt you. <laughs> we can misunderstand how a holy God can exist with a world full of sin. But Father, I pray that everyone is encouraged as I am to pursue you in prayer to figure those things out, that we would reconcile in our own hearts and minds these apparent contradictions that you clearly explain. There is unrighteousness today, but I am long-suffering. I am ransoming a bride unto myself. And that one day, I will come, I will conquer, 
and I will deliver my people. Father, give us confidence in these days ahead where things look bleak. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we get to pray. Amen.